All right, everybody, welcome to our latest Between the Races podcast on the MX Vice Network. Thank you, everyone, for listening and supporting the site. We really appreciate it. It's obviously been a big 2023, and as we move into 2024, we'd definitely like to thank everyone for tuning in and all the fans, the feedback, the comments, and everyone associated with MX Vice for the support. It means a lot. And obviously, we'd also like to thank Fly Racing for sponsoring this one, coming on board again for 2024. So Fly Racing is aimed to provide customers with the very best in off-road performance products. Led by the revolutionary Formula S smart helmet, Fly Racing continues to push innovation in safety to new levels. Never before has style and technology blended together so seamlessly as the 2024 Fly Racing lineup. For more info, check out flyracing.com or your local Western Power Sports dealer. Follow at Fly Racing USA on social media and cheer for all the Fly Racing riders in the Super Motocross World Championship. All right, first, we'd like to welcome Jason Thomas back to the podcast for 24. How's life, mate? And thanks for taking the time to join us. I'm sure you flat out yeah everything's good man i'm uh feeling good feeling ready uh, you always kind of wonder if you're going to be rejuvenated and and looking forward to starting this marathon run over again uh because yeah from here we just go and then i don't really stop so thankfully i'm ready for it i'm excited for it and uh i didn't know that i was going to be here to be honest a, a few weeks ago i was still kind of like dreading cranking this machine up again but i am fully back and ready to roll so awesome, mate. We'd also like to welcome Brad Wheeler on the podcast, the MX Vice Tester. Happy New Year, mate, and how's life? Yeah, yeah good. Still um <clears throat> still trying to wait for this rain to die off. We've uh we've uh been in contact with quite a few companies over the sort of Christmas period, sending out stuff to tests like uh FMF, Acrobovic and lots of other uh clothing brands as well, like the hostile handwear, the Aussie guy. So um yeah, as soon as this rain holds up, we've uh we're gonna have a lot of content ready to pump out on MX Vice. So yeah, good things coming. Yeah, we need to send you some stuff, Brad. Yeah, definitely. I was uh yeah, yeah. waiting to catch you with that, but um yeah, didn't want to catch you off guard. So glad oh, no, I'm ready that. for it. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh good. Yeah, absolutely, mate. We look forward to seeing what you can come up with and the testing is going to go from strength to strength, no doubt. And obviously, JT, just talking about the TV work, you're back on the grind, mate. Obviously, you had a really successful season last year with it, made huge strides in just being comfortable and just sort of being at home on that level. You know, it's a very hard thing to do, mate. Everyone says how tough TV is. Even talking to Zacho recently, he was like, it's really cool, but it's probably not for me. It's just such a difficult challenge to navigate. So how are you heading into the new season? Is it probably a bit of mix of nerves, but also you probably back yourself because you would have gained a lot of confidence from the last season doing it? Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. Um, it is really hard. It, it's much harder than I would have ever thought it would be. Um, you know, I, when I first agreed to to do the deal, I just thought it would I would just kind of float into it because I do so many podcasts that I was just like, oh, this will be just another thing like that. And it's it's truly not. Um, you know, being on camera live with no real way to if you screw up. You, there's no take backs and, you know, podcasting, I've been doing it for so long. It, it, there, I've had so many reps really, you know, I, I just have had practice and I kind of know the cadence of it. And I've really got to work on just how to be articulate and get your point across. And you also have to realize in, in a podcast format, you have, I don't say endless time, but if you want to really dive deep into something, you can, uh, you can explain it. You can circle back to certain things. If you don't feel like you covered it well. Uh, there's really no one telling you, like, hey, we got we got to get out, you know, and that's what TV is all about. It's being really concise, uh, having your point and, and being able to make it clearly and able to be explained to the casual viewer who's maybe never tuned in before, but then also be 
insightful enough for the real fan, like, like ourselves to be interested by it. And that, that's a tough thing to kind of square because something that may be really, really interesting to me, that's like really high level. You may completely lose that the casual viewer in that, in that statement. They just have no idea what you're talking about. So it's always a little bit of a, it's give and take with that. Right. And, and I always lean towards, I don't want to dumb down the show. If, if I have something really important that's going on, I would rather get that across to the person who is just so into the sport. And maybe that first time fan didn't quite get it, but maybe it's going to prompt them to go learn a little bit. Like, what was he talking about? How can I figure out what he was talking about there? And then that's only going to be, make them more of a fan in the end. So um, I'm hoping for myself, you know, when I really look at it selfishly, my purpose and all this, I just want to be the best I can be and not be nervous. And there's a lot that's happening that the cameras don't see. So how can I bring that to the viewer at home? How can I fill them in on things that they're not getting to see things behind the scenes, things that cameras didn't catch. And if I can do that, then I, I think I truly add to the show. That's, that's kind of my personal goal. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Well said. It's a great team. Obviously, they have doing the broadcast and you definitely add so much to the coverage from your unique perspective and must be pretty enjoyable for you, mate. But I guess what we always learn from speaking to you is you never turn down any opportunities. That cool approach has just obviously held you in good stead to make such a great career, both in your racing and your post-racing career in the media. So also it must be pretty cool that Weege will be in the booth, the guy you know so well. That must be such a great achievement for him and everyone in the industry is definitely happy about that one, aren't they? Yeah, and it's it's been long overdue. Um, not necessarily like I think that Feld was missing the boat by not having him. Um, I know that he had been in consideration for a long time, but you know they, they have a lot of other things that they have to contend with, right? They had existing contracts with Todd Harris. They have an existing contract with Tiffy. Daniel Boyer was making his foray into the booth as well. So it wasn't like there was an empty chair and they just chose to not put Weege in it. Um, but true to form, Weege hung in there. He kept putting his time and he kept improving. And I think he showed during all these pro motocross championship races that he's more than capable. And, you know, when Daniel Boyer decided to do other things and, and he wanted to be around his son more and take him riding every day and be home on the weekends, that opened the door for not only myself, it opened the door for Jason Wygant. And uh, both of us are thrilled with the opportunity and we're really trying to make the most of it. Do you have, um when you're doing the, the live TV stuff, do you kind of have free reign of what you get to talk about well, like when you're on the screen or do they give you a sort of an idea of where to go with it? Or is it sort of just more of a back and forth between you and the booth? Uh, yeah, it's, you know, we have certain things that we have to kind of get in, right? But when things are unfolding throughout the race, um, typically what will happen is I will hit, like I have a, a what's called a talk back button that only the producer can hear. And I tell him like, hey, I have something to add to that. And if there's time, if we're not going to commercial or there's not something else going on, he then radios to uh, Ricky or Lee or whoever's in the booth privately, like, hey, let JTN or same thing for Will Christian or whoever. So there's a lot of communication happening that, isn't aired um and sometimes like i'll have something really important to talk about we just don't have time to get it in in the moment um the one thing i've learned is they are very adamant about me asking more than than i think i should be right like they want to kind of slow me down versus speed me up so like sometimes they'll come to me and say hey we haven't heard from you like what do you have like are you just not paying attention out there i'm like no no I, whatever i just didn't want to be in the way of the show and they're like no you are the show like get in here right so I've had to kind of get out of my comfort zone and make sure that I'm 
pestering them more. That's what they want. They want me just bugging the shit out of them for lack of a better term about getting on the air and adding to the show instead of just forcing the two guys in the booth to just carry the entire race by themselves. So uh, that's, that's been really encouraging because I think if the content wasn't very good, if we didn't really have anything to add, they would be more than happy to not let us talk at all other than our podium. Yeah. Do you, do you have someone sort of in your ear counting down when you're about to go to commercial or something like that? And I did a couple um, at the British championship and uh, was sort of, sort of doing what you were doing, obviously not on the same scale, but we'd be talking about like a section of ruts and the little kids on the 65 struggling. And then all of a sudden I've got someone counting down from 10 in my ear and uh, yeah, it's quite so, um, off-putting. <laughs> so I can do, they do that when I'm doing the podium interviews. Uh, and then they do it to the guys in the booth the whole time, right? They're counting down a lot of things. So when I'm there, I'm about to come on air for the podium interviews. When they want me to get off air for the podium interviews, there's, there's a lot of that going on. But otherwise, that sort of countdown thing is only going on to Lee or Ricky or Stu or whoever. So I don't have to deal with it. Yeah, it's a lot to navigate and so much going on that obviously the average fan doesn't see. There's so much to consider and work your way through, mate. So it's really cool to see all the success. And I guess pivoting to the racing and I guess the track's going to be a major player. Obviously, they've released all the track maps. There's many obstacles to navigate. There should be some real difference-making sections across there, mate. And obviously, we've just heard that the weather should be fine as well. So what's your thoughts on the track and everything around that? I, You know, the track's a little bit basic. Um it's not that atypical for Anaheim. You know, they, they want to kind of warm everybody up a little bit. They don't want anybody getting hurt. Uh, you know, I think they're just trying to get people through this race sometimes. And it's not always like that, but you can kind of tell when that's the thought process. And really the, the telltale sign for that, for someone who's not as affluent with it, is just lots of straightaways, lots of switchbacks, lots of short straightaways with bull berms um, where, you know, they could make the track super technical and have longer lanes and lots of option stuff. They won't. They'll just make these switchback turns with a sand section and then another turn and a really basic rhythm section and then another corner. That to me is a is a really clear signal that they just want to get people in and out of this first round. And I don't know, you know, who's making the call on that. I don't know if it's a clear signal that's sent to the track builders. And maybe sometimes they're just like, you know what, we're gonna make the first one. We're just gonna ease guys into it. Um, so. It definitely felt that way to me. Um, and, and it's okay. You know, you just hope that it doesn't, you don't sacrifice the racing, like really close racing in the interim, right? Because you can make the track, if, if you go about it this way, you can very easily make the track super one-lined and then it becomes all about the start. And then there's really no passing outside of like heavy contact. So there's a really fine line there and a balance that they have to strike between a safe racetrack and then also one that's way too easy and, and super one line. Yeah, it's going to be good. It's one of many things, obviously, the riders have to deal with at A1. How stressful, from your perspective, is that event? Obviously, coming in, obviously done so much work in the pre-season, training, testing, getting the bike as good as possible. Obviously, I guess, haven't raced for a while. So I guess the key thing is, like you said, getting healthy and leaning on that work you've done in the off-season to give you that confidence because there's so much noise, hype, attention, especially for those factory guys. So what are the you know keys to success from your end on that aspect? You know, I think A1 is all about is, is the mental side right? Um, everybody should have done the work by now. Preparation should really be an afterthought. It's to me, it, Anaheim's always about who can control their emotions and not think about all the things you can't control because that's truly what it is, right? You, 
if you didn't prepare well enough, guess what? You can't do anything about that on Saturday night. And if you are more ready than you've been in your whole life, great, then just let it unfold. But thinking about it certainly won't help anymore, right? And you notice if you ever really look at Anaheim, most of the winners of the first round are guys that don't really have the pressure. You know, Justin Barsha, Ken Roxon, um, not necessarily the championship favorite or the heavy contender. And I think it's simply for that reason. They come in a little bit more carefree. They realize that everybody else is really nervous around them and they just go ride, you know, with, like without pressure. And, and I don't really know how to define that, but it's uh, the guys you watch over the years. If you've watched Eli Tomac really struggle at Anaheim or, or go back to Ryan Bill in 2013, he crashed multiple times trying to, they're just trying to do too much. Like they've put too much emphasis on the first round. And if you can wrap your head around the fact that this round counts just as many and just as few points as any other round, then just go out there and execute, you know, and uh, that's a, that's a much harder thing to do than say. But um, I think that just there's a, you know, Grant Langston used to say this all the time and I've repeated this over many, many podcasts, but it, it rings so true to me that when there's a ton of pressure, some people, it makes them rise to the occasion and bring out their best. And some people it makes fold and they just simply can't perform at their peak. And there's really no rhyme or reason to it, but there's a really clear distinction between those two things. Um, so we're going to kind of learn who's got that and who doesn't uh, because think about guys like Jet and Chase Sexton coming in with the number one plate and Eli Tomac coming off from injury. All these guys have their unique reasons to be incredibly nervous and feel like that they have to really perform it and kind of prove a point at A1. What was what was always your mindset heading into heading into A one? Obviously, you were quite uh, you travelled around the globe a lot in the off season, did a lot of the like the German Supercrosses and like Bercy and things like that. How how would your um sort of preparation differ to someone who this is kind of their first Supercross race since um Salt Lake City? So for me, Anaheim was just about trying to have a good opening weekend, right? Just get in that main event. And then you can kind of pivot a little bit, right? And the, the making the making the opener day one is is so difficult because everyone's healthy, and you just have to be kind of at your best and and let things. No different than the guy that's trying to win the race. Just get out of your own way and understand that you should be in the main event. You're plenty capable enough. The biggest reason you would not make this main event is if you can't get out of your own head and you can't just basically go out and know do what you know how to do. So. Um, I just tried to not think too much, just understand that it, it is the opening race. But in the end, the goal for me was really just to get in that main event because I knew I had done all the work. I had been racing all over the world, like you said. So I was really more prepared than most. Um, and once I got in the main event, then, you know, the, the 20 minutes or 20 laps or whatever was the easy part for me. It was those six lap sprint races where anything goes. That That was really where the risk was for me. Yeah, you kind of touched on the track being kind of relatively basic, nothing too overly taxing. Like you said, obviously, it's the first round. They don't want to write a bunch of guys off before the season even starts. Do you, do you see that lending itself to anyone more than, like, someone who's a bit more technical? Um, You know, I, I just think it's going to be the guys that can find a way to get starts, right, and, and put themselves in plus what I would say a plus position, right, ahead of, the, the things that can go on poorly around you because when the field's this deep, if you start 10th, good luck 
riding around the outside of guys like Jason Anderson and Justin Barsha and all these guys, like they're going to put you in the wall without any recourse. So you really need to be ahead of the fray like that. And, and, and as weird as it sounds, I think that's critically important for uh, Jet Lawrence this weekend. And sure, is Jet otherworldly talented? Of course, he, we all know that. But if he starts 11th in the main event, and he's got to ride through Malcolm Stewart and all the guys I mentioned, and even the guys that you don't have to really about worry about being aggressive, the Aaron Plessingers and all those guys, you still got to go past them on a really, really tight racetrack with really nothing to separate anybody. So he's not going to be going two seconds a lap faster than everybody like he was in pro motocross. It's going to be really tight. It's going to be, you know, 0. 0.4, 0. 0.6 of a second faster. And if you start 11th by the third or fourth lap, you're nine or 10 seconds down from the leaders. And then you, it's really, really challenging for anybody. I don't care if it's Jet or Jeremy McGrath or who. It's really challenging to make up that kind of time on a really easy race track. Yeah, absolutely, mate. And so many massive storylines heading into A1, and there's just so much to be excited about. All the fans is definitely frothing for the action to start. What are some of the most important, exciting things for you heading in? Obviously, you got the big three, Tomac, Sexton, and Jet, seeing how they all navigate. They've all got different things going on. Obviously, Tomac coming from the injury and sort of works away in the shadows, doing his own thing. Sexton changing bike, which you've spoken really insightfully on as well, and also Jet. How does he deal with that burden of the off-season, mate? You were saying, does he suffer any burnout, any sort of dread coming into A1? Obviously, he's got that felt experiences thing going on as well, which will certainly drag his attention away a little bit. But, you know, as we've always seen, like last season, when the racing starts, he's on it. So what are the most exciting things out of that for you? Well, I think that there's a there's a huge story to kind of tell about how Chase Sexton handles this situation. Uh, if you look at what... Um, you know, what he walked away from as far as the situation, he was the defending champion. He'd always been at Honda. He had so much success there. And now he's going to give up, you know, several years at factory Honda, give up his first championship and walk away to new personnel, new chassis. Um, really, I would say an unproven motorcycle because really no one has, has had tremendous amounts of success on that KTM chassis yet. So he, to me, he's the most compelling story. Like there's so much I want to see with jet, but I, I jets a juggernaut and I think he's going to do well no, no matter what, but to see how chase Sexton handles the change, the pressure of the number one plate, the expectation that goes along with this changing team, because I think if he goes out and struggles early, like he's not, quickest in practice or really close to being quickest in practice that will carry, you know, through the break and into the night show. Like he's going to be a little bit unsure. Like was this the right, he's constantly going to have that feeling in the back of his mind. Was this the right move? Did I do the right thing? Did I screw up by going to this bike and this team right after coming off a championship? So that's just a really tough thing for him to go in with. And, you know, I've heard from other people that he hasn't been overly, happy with the chassis yet like they're still trying to test and trying to get there and i i just don't think he's in a you know a perfect place yet it doesn't mean he can't go in and do really well i just think that let's say six months ago when he fi you know finally finished this deal and locked and loaded like him coming into the new year i believe that he thought he would be a lot more comfortable and a lot more sure than he is right now and that you know, that's my perspective on it. He may tell me I'm an idiot and he's over the moon happy, but I don't believe that. I believe that he's he's still searching for 
comfort and that last little bit of speed. So that's to me what I'm going to be watching most. Um, it'll be long before they line up to race. It'll be in that in the afternoon sessions and morning and afternoon sessions on Saturday. If Chase is not really fast, because remember, he was the fastest qualifier at 13 out of 17 rounds last last year. And it was it was every weekend we knew going in that he was going to be the fastest guy. And if he wasn't, he was damn close. Like there was a reason or he barely missed it by a tenth or something like that. If there's a marked difference this year in the afternoon, I really think that's going to have a profound mental effect on him going into that night's race. So that's what I, that's what I'll be watching for the most part. Yeah, well said. Great insight, mate. And obviously, before we let Brad fire a few questions and we talk about some other guys, obviously Prado, all about him as obviously we cover the MXGP so heavily here. Obviously, the 450 World Champion stepping into race the first three Supercross rounds on the 450. It's going to be fascinating. Obviously, we're just talking off air. He's not on the provisional entry list at this point, which has got the fans just firing us off questions left, right and center about that. But yeah, it's going to be so cool to see him out there. And maybe that racetrack, like you were saying, it might lend itself to maybe if he gets a good start, he might be able to hold that position pretty well and We've spoken how he should adapt quite well if he obviously great starter, really technical, safe, measured rider. It's just going to be so cool to see how he goes. A lot of unknowns, but they'll be answered come Saturday night. And just your take on so many international riders, it truly is so global now. Obviously, Fares, who's racing on the East, but obviously Boutron will be at A1. You've got the Lawrence brothers, a host of Aussies like Tanty and a few other guys coming over. You've got Roxon, Ferrandez, Shimoda. Anstey, Wilson, heaps of Canadians and a host more. So that's just so cool, isn't it? So we'd love to hear your thoughts on the international vibe and how good that is for growing the sport. And just what's your take on Prado too? Yeah, I think it's awesome to have so many international riders coming over and, you know, making America their home, at least for the, for the racing season. Anyway, um, it, I think it speaks to how the series have really grown, you know, kind of coming together for super motocross, having this playoff series. Uh, there's, there's a lot of reasons many reasons to be racing stateside these days. Um, and yeah, we're kind of seeing that, right. It's, if you look through, like, I remember last year at the opening East coast round, it was all international riders. It was like the and Hunter Lawrence. And you just went down the list of all these international riders that were making up the top five. It was, it was really, really cool to see. Uh, and then the, you know, the 450 classes got a lot of that too. You know, we're going to have two Australians running around at the front, you know, Prado's coming over for these first three rounds. And to your question about him, this first track certainly helped. Um, but I, I'll tell you the number one factor will be, can he maintain that starting prowess that we know he dominates with? Right. And that's to me going to be the number one factor in success. And I don't want to say failure, but maybe a little bit of more of a disappointing result because he needs to get up there with those guys and find the pace and just kind of just stay out of trouble for the first 10 minutes. And it's easier said than done because I think if you're, a guy like Jason Anderson or one of these guys, I think, you know, we use a term in the U S I think they're going to try to rattle his cage a little bit and just kind of get in and be aggressive and try to push him out of the way. And I know that Prado can handle himself, but it's a different environment. It's a different arena. He's not going to be as sure of himself. Say if we were at Majora, right. He would never put up with that, but in Anaheim, the lights are going to be really bright and I'm sure he's going to be a little bit more nervous than he normally would be. So if I was coaching him, I would just say, Hey, just focus on and lean into what your strengths are. What do you do really well? You start with the best that have ever done it, and then you manage races from the front incredibly well. And that doesn't mean you have to lead every lap or win the race, but you know how to stay up front and manage races from the front. You know how to find people's pace when they pass you, learn from what they're doing. So just lean into that. 
let that be what you do well. If he can do that, if he can manage his emotion and his expectation and the nerves and all that, then I think he'll be just fine, especially on this first racetrack. Yeah, it's going to be great. Just a quick one before you jump in, Brad. Is there any adaptation to racing at night? Does that throw a spanner in the works for him as well? Obviously, they're moving the schedule a bit forward, but that must be something they'll have to navigate too. Yeah, I think he'll be okay. You know, for me, it's hard to put myself in his shoes because I, I've done it so much, right? It was just a normal part of my life. But Prado's seen so many things and he's raced around the world in so many different environments. You know, you think about going to South America, racing in Indonesia. I don't, or I can't imagine with all the things he's had to adapt to that racing under the whites would be that big of a deal. Um, I, I just can't picture that being something he couldn't figure out for Moving to the, the 250 class briefly, how do you think someone like uh, Billy Leninovich is going to do? Obviously, he's like 40 years of age. This is like his ninth, will be his ninth season or 10th season doing 250 Supercross against someone like uh, Julian Bomar, who's literally a rookie, never raced a 250 Supercross in his life and is more than less, less than half right. of. Uh, is Billy's age. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is stay safe, right? Like no one wants to get hurt at his age, trying to do something and come back and have fun. But Billy's one of the most talented riders that I've seen, right? He's kind of up there with the Josh hands and, and the guys that when they were riding, you could tell that they were born to ride a motorcycle. They just looked natural when they did it. Didn't look like it took all that much effort to kind of figure rhythm sections out and, you know, I watch them like guys like that when they free ride, they're just can just hit like a lip and turn their bike completely upside down, like things that are abnormal for an average human to be able to do. Well, that's kind of who Billy Leninovich has always been. And, you know, when I look at the class, the 250 West is not super deep. So I think he has a real opportunity. You know, he just needs to do the right things. It's, it's kind of the same old recipe for qualifying in Supercross. Get a good start, have a decent pace. It doesn't have to be mind blowing pace have a decent pace and stay out of trouble. If you can do those three things in the 250 class and supercross, you're typically going to make the main event. Now the 450 class is a whole different animal. You have to be able to absolutely haul ass. Like there's just no other way around it. I don't care if you get the whole shot or not. Uh, if you can't go really fast, you're not making the main event, but the 250, if you can do the obstacles, put in decent laps, stay out of trouble and start up front, you're going to get in. So I, that's kind of the same thing. If I was coaching him, what I would be telling Prada, that's what I would do. Just do what you know how to do. Like this is a former race winner in the 250 class. He he knows everything about what he has to do. You just kind of have to execute when the gate drops. Yeah, I mean his last uh his last 250 supercross race will, will be near on um 12 years ago. That's um, crazy. Do, the, yep. do you think that do you think the tracks have changed uh, much in those 12 years? I mean you you were probably no. on the line in 2012. Yeah, pretty was, much the same. Was. Yeah, they're they're almost identical. Um, you know, I get the opportunity to walk the track every single weekend, and now with my television opportunities, I'm I'm standing on the track every single weekend during the night, and nothing has changed. I mean, it looks like I just took my helmet off in 2012. You know, leaving Anaheim, so that's a good thing for him. He's going to feel comfortable. Um, it's the same exact track builders, it's the same exact track designers, the same person is drawing the racetrack. So. There's a lot of consistency there. So it's going to feel like normal to him. Pretty far removed time-wise, but just like riding a bicycle, a lot of those things, time doesn't really have a factor on. Like when I'm, I'll give you an example. When I'm walking the track or standing on the track, 
I feel like I could go do what I used to do. Now I know I can't because I barely ever ride, but in my mind, my mind is processing the track the same way, like jumps. Okay. I would go three here, then wheel tap or whatever, whatever the obstacle may be that same mental process is still happening in your brain. Um, and I think he's kind of got his form back as close as he can anyway. So I think it's going to be pretty easy for him to adapt. Yeah, it should be amazing watching that. It's quite a yeah massive step and you've got to respect anyone that's doing that. He's still obviously got the passion and the desire. So we definitely wish him all the best. Just a couple more 450 ones. Obviously, I just wanted to see where you think Hunter will fit in, obviously making the step up to the 450 class. Did really well at Paris, probably surprised some people. Obviously, very technically proficient and sound and a pretty measured rider. Obviously, faced a lot of adversity last year on his way to grabbing those titles. But it's going to be pretty cool to see where he fits in. Do you see him around Barsha, Webb, Anderson, ACAP, and that sort of bracket, mate? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the, the class is really deep. So he has, you know, this unique capability where I think if he starts near the front, he has the, the talent and the equipment and the ability to go with them. But if he doesn't and he starts 12th, which somebody's going to start 12th, right? Whether it's Christian Craig or Hunter or Jet or Tomac, one of these really talented guys is going to look up at the end of the first lap and be 11, 12, 13. That's just the way it has to be when you have this much, this much depth. So if it happened to be Hunter, that's where it's going to get tough because he's going to have to work forward in an incredibly talented field. And just like I said with Jet, passing these guys is not as easy as it would have been in pro motocross. It's really narrow, no margin for error. You know, if you go outside and try to rail the outside of a berm, they're just going to try to put you over that berm. You know, it's just a, a very different dynamic than what 250 Supercross is or pro motocross is. You know, for Hunter last year, he got a bad start. He was just weaving in and out of guys all over the place, just passing them at will. That's not going to happen to Cooper Webb or whoever. Take your pick. Any of the guys like that. Dylan Ferrandis, you know, you're talking about multi-time champions in different disciplines that he's going to have to with if finds himself behind them. yeah so much to contend with obviously is there any more talk on malcolm stewart obviously still flying at the test track mate obviously we covered it on the last podcast but there's obviously so much hype surrounding him and obviously it'll be craig as well but the field is really just so stacked mate there's all the comparisons people are doing at the moment but you look at the guys we've mentioned and obviously even people like justin cooper who sort of fly and run under the radar he's such a skilled talented rider and he showed last year in those 450 supercrosses how good he is and you can't write off people like justin he'll obviously got a podium there obviously the field was depleted but when you're talking about bike skill and those guys are still out riding the hills so much talent so much skill and then you're sort of moving into wilson bloss nichols freese a rod chisholm moran starling mcelrath noran drake who should be pretty cool to see on the suzuki robin cade cartwright like it's just crazy even ramette the frenchman's coming over an aussie guy who got fifth in our series over here joel whiteman watch out for him so it's going to be pretty hard to make the main event for some of these guys too so your talk on how stacked it is and just mookie as well mate you're still pretty hyped on him yeah i think mookie is the guy that i still hear the most about as far as just raw speed and who's coming in with the most momentum uh, I've, I've also heard a little bit on uh, Roxon. Roxon's apparently riding the best he's ridden all year right now. Um, and keep in mind, he's been practicing with Sexton on a daily basis. So that should show you the form. If, if the talk of that particular camp is about how fast Roxon's going when Sexton's there every day, that's a pretty pretty positive sign for Kenny. Um, you know, as far as the depth, you know, I spoke at the beginning of this podcast about how this went for me right and, and just getting in that main event but I, I feel like you just have to be opportunistic and the worst thing you can possibly do is look at the starting list before the race because it's so deep and everybody has this big name 
and they've won this and they've won that and they're some champion in some other country and you're you look at it and you're like where the hell do i fit in on this right like how am i you know take your pick of whatever privateer you want to say like how do i don't have those accolades or accomplishments like what am i supposed to do to get into this main event and how but then the gate drops and it doesn't matter what name is on the back of the jersey anymore you just have to go fast and that's what I always had to kind of do to myself is like, I'm not, I don't even care who's here. I'm not even going to look, just tell me which heat race I'm in. Let's go racing because I know this too well. I know how this goes. I'm going to think that I'm the 30th best guy on paper. And then at the end of the night, I'm going to look up and I'm 14th, you know, and, and that's just how things go. And it, but you have to, you know, as I said earlier, you have to stay out of your own head. You can't psych yourself out. There's going to be plenty of people there that are trying to psych you out. I promise you. You can't be the one trying to, you know, doing the damage to yourself. Yeah, it's we obviously, like you said, it's an absolutely stacked field, and the person in fourteenth could just as easily be on the podium and vice versa. But obviously, we don't want to keep you for too long. But um, let's let's have your top three then. If you someone's someone's you five hundred quid in Vegas, give us your top <laughs> three. Yeah, a one such a weird one. Um... Normally, I, I would give you just the guys that I think are the best three, which would probably be Jet, Sexton, and Tomac in some order. Uh, but A1 is is this strange event where you usually don't get the most obvious winner because of the pressure and the expectation, and someone comes in that doesn't feel nervous at all, and then they just ride the race of their life. Um, so I think, I think we're going to get something like that. I think we're going to get like a Roxon win or somebody that we're not really thinking about because he's not nervous. He's like, yeah, nobody's picking for me for the title. I can just come in here and ride my best race. Um, if it's not something like that, if it's not an oddball winner, like the Jason Anderson, the Ken rocks and the guys that aren't grabbing all the headlines, then I think jet just came out and dominated. I think those are your two options is jet dominates. Or it's one of those weirdo races that we're like, where the hell did that come from? But we should have known it because that's what Anaheim is. Um, what about for the, the 250 class? Obviously, the 450 guys, they're they're much more seasoned. They know it's they've got 17 rounds to make this make something happen. They don't need to go all guns blazing at round one. Whereas the, the 250 guys, they're, they're younger, they're fierier, they they've they've got like half the rounds to make this. So a win at the first round can really set them up for a, yeah. like a strong championship. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's not a lot of depth in the 250 class, but the top end of the field is pretty strong. So you have basically the the way the landscape is, you have RJ Hampshire, who was second in points last year and without Jet would have pretty much dominated the series. You have Levi Kitchen, who was third in the championship. He was really good. And then some weekends he was really not quite as good. And that's what he really has to work on is figuring out that consistency, bring his best form every single Saturday. Yoshimoda, who if, he, if this was the end of a championship, I would say he's probably going to win, but he's had such a hard time with starting fast in any championship. doesn't matter if it's supercross, motocross, anything. He just can't quite get going early enough. So what I'll be watching for with Joe, I, you know, I kind of think I know what to expect from most guys. But if Joe Shimoda comes out and is on fire early, gets a win, second place, but looks like he's on pace to win the first round, I think that's the guy we need to really watch for because that would be a fundamental shift in everything we've seen from Joe in the past. Um, he's always been a slow starter, kind of builds momentum, and then by the end of the championship, he's as good or better than anybody. 
if he can start the championship that way, then everybody should be very, very nervous about trying to beat the number 30. Do you think we're going to see a jump from Max Voland, obviously moving to the pro circuit team? Like he's he's kind of not quite had the that speed that he's shown in outdoors in the Supercross, but yeah, obviously under the the wing of Mitch Payton, like if he's if anyone's going to get the best out of you, it's going to be him. Do you think we kind of see Max make the jump to maybe a, a, a podium guy every now and again? You know, I'd like to say yes. Um, I've just kind of shifted into this mode with Max where I, I he's going to have to show me uh, because there's been so much frustration and so much disappointment in Supercross. I'm just not going to go in with high expectations. And that doesn't mean he can't do great. It doesn't mean it can't be his breakout year. I'm just going to wait and let him show me that he can do it. Uh, and I think that's fair. He, he's had a really rough go at times in Supercross and a lot of people have been let down with his Supercross results. So if he comes out and is, you know, a change guy and consistent and a podium guy and battling for wins, then I'll be the first one to tell you, like, man, he really turned the corner. But again, until he does it, I'm going to assume that he's not going to. Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool to play at. Just a couple more guys, obviously, Ryder D on the gas gas, making the switch. Juju on the KTM, obviously, a lot of hype around him. He's a very talented rider. Heard some good things coming out of America from the Whiskey Throttle guys and a lot of the media that have been over there. Marchbanks, he could definitely get up there on the podium too. And then you got your guys like Mumford, Nicoletti, Hawkins moving to that KTM now, Oldenburg, Thompson, Wageman. So any of those guys sort of fancy your eye, mate? Yeah, I mean, you always are hoping one of these guys is going to break out, right? Um, the tough part is, is that it's just really, really strong at the very top. Um, I am kind of looking to see how the two Monster Yamaha Star Racing guys will do, because you have Nate Thrasher coming off a huge injury in Atlanta. And if he's right, if he's back to where he was, he could come in and win. And nobody's really talked about him. There's been zero hype about Nate Thrasher at all. But if he's on the level he was at a year ago, these guys should all be really worried about Nate Thrasher. Uh, so we'll see. I just don't know. I haven't heard anything about his pace, about where he's at. So it's it's going to be truly one of those things where everybody's going to be guessing a little bit. If you haven't been at the Yamaha track in Florida with those guys or Southern Georgia practicing, I don't know how you could really know what he's, you know, what what he has in the tank. And then secondarily to that, Jordan Smith. You know, Jordan is a guy that really came on strong late in the year, and. and if it weren't for the crashes, Jordan would probably already have a 250 Supercross championship. So he is very capable. It's just, can he stay upright or not? So there's a lot of depth there. I think there will be headlines and, and storylines that we weren't, weren't really thinking about, or maybe we just mentioned, but they weren't the predominant story going in that I think may pop up at some point throughout the series. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely fascinating, mate. And just before we let you go, any final thoughts from you? What's happening for the weekend? You're flying out shortly, obviously primed for a massive weekend. You're back on the grind. It all starts again now, mate. So just your take on what's it going to be like for you? Yeah, so my weekend really starts tomorrow. Um, I fly to LA tomorrow and then uh, we'll make sure we're, we're kind of set up as far as fly racing goes in the pits. And then we have a press conference rehearsal tomorrow afternoon. That rolls right into the the actual press conference Friday morning, local time. And then we get to watch bikes on track for the first time in 2024, which would be awesome. That'll be early afternoon Friday. We have our TV rehearsals Friday afternoon, uh, which will take us right into dinner. And then it's, I mean, it's go time. I mean, it's once I land in LA tomorrow, there's really no rest for the weary. Um, not that it's not all fun. It is incredibly entertaining, but it's, it's a lot in a row. Like you just kind of go from one meeting to the other. And there's a lot of, a lot of redundancy because they want to make sure everything's right you know so we're practicing and rehearsing and production meetings and 
all that stuff because it's a huge deal, right? We want to make sure that everybody does the job that that they would feel is reflective of this big of an event, this big of a night. And it would be a damn shame if if any of us didn't give our best performance and didn't live up to what this race should be and what the people deserve to be. Yeah, absolutely, mate. I wish you all the best and it's going to be an awesome weekend of action and you guys will do it justice for sure at A1 with all your expertise and experience, mate. So thanks again for taking the time to join us, mate. It's been a ripper podcast. And before we let you go, just thank Brad as well. Any final thoughts from you too, mate? No, just uh, glad that Anaheim's finally here. So um, yeah, excited to obviously all the bench racing and bullshit behind the scenes can cease and we'll finally get some answers. <laughs> awesome mate thanks again to here. Racing as well and yeah anything there jt no i was just say it's finally here man feel like we've been waiting for a while but it's that time awesome mate all the best and cheers for joining us on this one and we look forward to hopefully speaking next week mate have a great weekend and cheers lads see you guys see you later cheers mate thank you